You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Gracious and Heavenly Father, for this new day and for your mercies uh, renewed this day and every day, every morning. Um, thank you. We come to you now, Lord, um, with clogged ears and with scales over our eyes. Lord, open our ears, open our eyes that we would see Behold and hear you. Um, uh, be merciful and gracious to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, there it is. You know, I wondered, how am I going to start? And I don't know. <laughs> I came in here this morning not even knowing how I'd begin. Um, I guess, let's start where we begin. Um, this... Kind of, this is the last week of a six-week series. Uh, uh, a phrase, almost a throwaway line in Galatians that I've always liked. It's in Galatians 4. And it really is just sort of this, almost this bread that he throws on the water, that Paul throws on the water. When he says, now that you know God, and then in English we put a hyphen, dash, or rather are known by God. And that's where it started. That's where this, this, this iteration of, of Galatians started for me was this, um, this correction, this self-correction as Paul likely is dictating the letter to a scribe and he wants to slow it down and, and be a little bit more precise and say, no, 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 passive tense, um, passive tense. Uh, we don't come to God uh, knowing him. We don't come with that kind of presumption. We don't come to him. Uh, of our own efforts, our own merits, what Paul is going to call a work of the law later in, in the letter, um, or we did earlier in the letter, uh, where something that we do to add to our knowledge of God, but it is an absolute act of grace from the beginning all through the middle and then at our very end, and he's going to play with that word at several points in the letter, this idea of ending or finishing, um, where it's that, as we do in English too, it's got that double meaning both at the same time, uh, where it is a um, both a terminus. It's the end, the terminus, where you kind of come to the the uh, the finish line. Oh, now I'm done. Twenty six point two. But there's also a sense of completion, and now all that I've worked for, and have built up to it, and now it's complete. And there's that sense, and, and the, the the best example of that, and the roots are all the same in the scriptures. It's Christ on the cross, his last word, it is finished, to telestai. It's even a beautiful word to me. Um, one word, it is finished. What is it? His life is finished, it's at its end, for then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And Christ died. He died a real death as a real man on a real cross on a real Friday. Um, but also, it is complete. It's not only ended, it's complete now. This work that I was given to do, um, born that man no more may die, um, born of a woman, born uh, under the law, as Paul would say in, in Galatians 4, right before he corrects himself to say, rather are known by God. Um, uh, it is finished. And what is this work that is finished? Um, well, it's the work of the law, the works of the law now find their, uh, their end and their fulfillment 
in Christ's death for sinners. And that's where Paul wants to take great pains and come back again and again and again to these foolish dear Galatians. 3.1. We talked about that several times and we'll continue today. You foolish Galatians, you dear idiots of Galatia, as J.B. Phillips called it, uh, who has bewitched you? Or here in, in Galatians 6, he's going to say, who has deceived you? Who has led you away from the truth? Um, Christ Jesus was crucified for you before your very eyes. And, well, let's go ahead and flip around. Um, that's not quite where we're going yet. Um, uh, here we looked at that this week. Christ Jesus was crucified for you, for you, right before your very eyes. Um, uh, not so much that probably not anybody reading that letter, Galatia, would be a long way from Jerusalem. Still is. Uh, but they wouldn't have been there in those six hours on Friday, um, Good Friday. Uh, he was portrayed, uh, crucified before you in my preaching, in my gospeling you, as he, <coughs> excuse me, as he called it several times in his letter. We talked about the, um, the unique way where the words, uh, uh, the nouns are made verbs. As I gospeled you, and as I faithed you, faithified or gospelified or um, uh, freeified is going to be a word in five ones. It is for freedom that you've been freeified. We have that in English. It is for freedom that you have been freed. Um, uh, all these different ways that Paul wanted to come through and make sure that we don't miss the proper tense of passivity. And what is passivity? Passivity is reception. Um, we capture it in that word suffer. And here he is, Christ suffered for us. He passively received. Passivity is the reception. Um, Christian life is a receptive life. It's great. One of my heroes likes to call it, um, that the Christian life is a receptive life. It's a life that we receive. It happens to us more than we are actors. We're the creature, and he is the creator. Say elsewhere, we're the clay, and he is the potter. And what jar stands up to the artist and says, you're putting the handle on the wrong side? Um, none. Um, we receive the work of our Heavenly Father, who says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, I knew you even before I knit you in your mother's womb. That's Psalm 139. So all this is at play as Paul wants to write these dear idiots, his brothers in Galatia. He says that twice. Um, it's going to be a point that we make as we read. Parts of, we're going to go backwards a little bit and read some more Galatians 5, but then especially at 6. You know, we, we shouldn't miss this. This great, wonderful news of who we are. Um, that just because we're idiots, that we're fools, that we've been bewitched and we've been deceived, that our fleshly selves continue to walk through this life, uh, that simultaneous existence, that we're dear, and that we who once were far off have been brought near, and we who once knew not love have now been loved, and we who once were not a people are now a people. And Paul captures all this here in, in, in Galatians, but he also does this wonderfully in his letters to the Corinthians, uh, where he says, nowhere else does Paul say it quite this strongly. You idiots, you fools, you foolish Galatians. And later he calls them brothers. They're not cut off from the vine. Um, they're close. He says, if they're going to sever you off, I wish they'd go the whole way and just cut the whole thing off. 
you know, that wonderful idiom, speaking of circumcision. Uh, but then he comes back and he says, Brothers, um, uh, listen to this. Grace and peace to you from our Lord, uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends the same way that he begins. Grace be with your spirit. Um, brothers, grace be with your spirit. So, anyway, what do we do? It started with passivity, went backwards to freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's a word that we sorely need, I think, in our discourse these days. Uh, and we went backwards and says, well, freedom from what? Or freedom how? And it's a freedom with this radical remapping. We'll come back to this now. Um, this radical remapping of reality. I didn't make that up. Um, uh, where there is neither now no Jew nor Greek nor male nor female nor slave nor free for all one part of the same body in Christ Jesus. Uh, uh, this is a quote from a guy named John Barclay. Galatians remaps reality with a cartography capable of blurring traditional categories by means of newly minted definitions. That's kind of an oblong way of saying, but just the phrase remapping reality. And there's a picture of an old map. I found this this morning. I thought it was kind of fun. Jerusalem at the middle, kind of a cloverleaf design. I don't know if they really thought this, but maybe. Um, you know, there be dragons out here. I guess you can't see on the screen. Um, in the uh, in the seas and all that sort of things, places you don't go with with Europe and Asia and Africa, the known world, uh, kind of emanating out from Jerusalem. Well, we now know something else. Reality has been remapped, right? Well, Galatians, no less powerfully, again and again and again, remaps our reality as we are told, as poured into our our ears, um, and we're wearing only Christ. You who now are in Christ need to have no fear, fear of the crushing weight of the law, which we also looked at here in this wonderful hymn by Augustus Toplady with Rock of Ages, this idea of being hidden in Christ. Um, uh, now uh, the crushing weight of the law, and we'll see this again. It's one of Paul's, I think, great metaphors this crushing weight of the law and sin and death, um, death itself, the last great enemy, um, we need to have no fear of it because the weight of all that, if we're in Christ, the rock of ages, it can't touch us um, uh, for he's already been crushed by it and now it can't be crushed twice, sort of an idea similar to double jeopardy. Um, uh, we've been through all these places. Just want to sort of bring back a little bit of... Of, uh, of how we've come through this, this wonderful letter, this wonderful letter of Galatians, um, which uh, at the same time wants to tell us our, our, our two selves, the two eyes that live. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so we're always asking, which, which self is hearing this? The one who is dead and now has no fear of the death which is to come because he's already been crucified, because she's already been crucified? Or that part of me in the flesh, still tied to the uh, to the to the first Adam, uh, which has death in front of him, and which has much to fear. Uh, the two selves, the two eyes. That was Galatians two twenty that we were looking at the second week. Um, that's where we've been, and we looked over here last piece, and just kind of bringing things together before we dive into uh, to the text today. Another place where it sort of started from the very beginning are these wonderful. Um, bust, uh, self-portrait of an artist named Richard Thomas, which is this description of 
of, uh, of these themes in Galatians, of the two selves, the I who lives and the I who no longer lives but is freed and who lives in Christ and who wears only Christ, especially this last one right here, who now um, no longer in a suit and tie but, but uh, uh, clothed with nothing that we would see but with the eyes to see, we might find that he wears only Christ and Christ's righteousness. And, uh, and what happens? Peace. And that was where we've been at the very beginning. Galatians 1.3 Grace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at that because we, we realize again and again and again it's not good news necessarily to necessarily, by necessity, by assumption, to say that God knows you and God knows your name and God knows where you live. You better ask, which God? <laughs> and how is he clothed? Um, because if it's God clothed in Christ, in the God-made flesh, the God who became man and dwelt among us full of grace and truth, well, that, friends, is very, very, very good news. But God unpreached, as he sometimes is called, God exists in himself, well, it's a terrible thing. It could be a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You need to find out quickly which, which God is this, because we're all going to give an account. And Paul's going to pick that up again here in Galatians 5, where he says each of us must bear our own load. That's what he's talking about. So that's where we've been. Um, I think I had another slide. I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah. We'll look at that in a little bit. Um, uh, I'll look that up so I can read it. Um, Comments or thoughts? Just kind of rehashing where we've been, pulling our themes together, because Paul's going to pull all this together here at the end of of, uh, of his letter. Not all those themes, but a lot of them are going to be pregnant in what he's saying. He's definitely working things together. How about time? Right. Yeah. For, for you it's short sometimes and it's long. Help, help me here. In our lives? Well, yeah. Yeah. Like Absolutely. It's both, um, that's right. It's both sometimes in a, in a, in a, in a New York minute. Um, I love to think about time because it's such an interesting thing. And here again, uh, if I have time, I'll, we'll look at it and kind of draw this out where Paul will even speak in this time language, in due season or in due course. Uh, and that word is a very specific word, kairos, which is a ministry that we some of us know. It's the ministry in a prison where it means an appointed time or an appointed season. And it's like that. And yet, as a psalm would say, a, 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 a nanosecond to us, to God, could be a thousand years. It could be like a thousand, where he's got all the time in the world, literally, because he's the author of time, to do whatever he wants to do in that, in that nanosecond. And some other times, it's a lifetime. And then it's both and, where these things happen to us every day, again and again and again, where the gospel is poured into our ears. And this, I often pray the prayer that I prayed a minute ago that our, his, his mercies and His grace is renewed. It's made new to us each morning. Amen. Amen. It can't be exhausted. Um, and so, uh, so sometimes we're, there's, a, there's a, uh, a complete new creature that's brought forth, and it once was, but now is something else, definitively and finally, and that person has never tasted that before. Uh, and it happens in a flash, in the blink of an eye, or in the sound of a gong. And other times it could take a, what we would call a lifetime. But to Paul, to, to God, all things are a now. He operates in the now. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. 
first by one that idea of the ideal of freedom that there is a certain thing called freedom but we're not free you know, a lot of people think we have free will right right with, but we all come to it in our own understanding but he, he clearly says we're under a yoke of slavery yep and i think we all would maybe agree that we're under slavery right now wearing these masks and and it just brought to me the idea of we're all we're all adopted into his family. We're all one family, and that gives us even more freedom. Yep. And when he knocks Paul off the, the horse. horse on the way to Damascus, why are you crucifying me? Mm-hmm. Or why you know it's me that you're doing it to, not these people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're my body. They mm-hmm. are me. Mm-hmm. But that whole idea that we're one in Christ and that if there's an ideal of freedom that it's hard for us to submit to that freedom. Yeah. You do have to submit to that freedom yeah. as opposed to yeah. clinging to bondage. Yeah. Um, Amen. I don't know what I could add. Um, yeah, Paul speaks in dichotomies a lot. And I didn't pull this out. Uh, but a lot where it says servant. The word there is... What does this sound like? Is this pretentious? I mean, doulos is the word, um, which means bond servant or slave even, or a servant. And now we're servants of Christ. We serve a master. You know, marked. What's that? Marked. More marked as Christ. Owned. That's right. And that's going to be there at the, the, the end. I bear the marks, the stigma, the brand. is one thing that means. He's talking about his scars from being whipped. But it's also like brand of cattle. My family, old cattle family in Texas, I should have put the brand up there. You know, where this, you heat up an iron, you put it on some on cattle's hind, hind, uh, hind part, and, and uh, that's mine. I'm marked. This is mine. Or the slave. Very interesting. I heard Will Willimon say that. Now he got me off. Um, great sermon that he preached here one time. Malchus, the, uh, the slave, the servant of the high priest who, uh, who, who Peter cut his ear off right there at Gethsemane when, when the... Uh, when the horde came to uh, to take Jesus away, uh, sort of Maundy Thursday night, early Good Friday morning, whenever it is, in the dead of night. Um, and there's that great picture that I've shown uh, called Judas, which captures the, the pregnancy of that moment a little bit. When he cuts off Malchus's ear, and uh, when Peter cuts off Malchus's ear, and the Lord stands up and says, Stop! You know, could I not... Uh, call down a legion of angels. Um, no one takes my life, as he said in John, but I give it up of my own accord. And he picks up, I mean, think about this. He picks up Malchus's ear and he puts it back on there. And Will Willimon just threw it away. He's, he's a great preacher. Um, he just said, you know, it doesn't say anything, but I just have to bet that when the ear came off, it had the earring, which is the mark of a slave. And when Christ put it back up there, I don't think the earring was on there anymore. And then he just kept on talking about whatever. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And that even Malchus, who was marked as a slave of the high priest, no longer marked as a slave of Christ. Because you've got to serve somebody, as Bum Dylan would say. Um, and Paul says that specifically in Romans. Um, and he's going to have that here when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruits of the flesh, and different things like that. So anyway, I mean, it's all, it's a great letter. All these ideas and so many, many others that I hadn't even touched on are right here in the middle. 
uh, because grace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, when, when we know God veiled in flesh, um, uh, then we have peace. Peace with God, like the last portrait over there. Um, when my conscience is clear, because of what, what kind of freedom? Good question, David. Not from the presence of sin, because yea, in this world you will have trouble, and, and we groans in the pains of childbirth. Um, uh, not even from the power of sin, for I have this war that goes on in my members, but certainly from its penalty, that we need have no fear. Our consciences can be clean to know that, that the penalty which is justly mine is no longer mine. For Christ, it was the will of God to crush him so that I would not be crushed. Me, under the law, uh, as long as I'm in Christ, the law can't crush me. The penalty of the law cannot crush me. And that's Romans. I mean, that's, that's uh, Pilgrim's Progress here. I've referred to it so many times, I went and found it with a nice little picture of it. A lot of us have been reading Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress is part of the church. And when faithful um, meets Christian, when Christian meets faithful the first time, they're, they're giving each other what we would call their testimony. Tell me your story. How would you get this far? How would you come to know the Lord and what your trial has been? And faithful, um, they're swapping stories, cartography, back to maps. And then I climbed the hill. Oh, yeah, I was there. That's where I lost my scroll. And then, because uh, Christian wasn't a good listener, we would say, and faithful interrupts us, like, good brother, hear me out. You asked me about my story. That's kind of where it was in the story. But good brother, hear me out. So soon as the man, talked about some man overtook him, he'd been watching him for a long time, he kept pursuing, he was on his heels. It's a pretty neat little, little picture that he draws. Um, we don't know it yet, but that man is going to be Moses, the giver of the law. So soon as the man overtook me, he was but a word and a blow, for down he knocked me and he laid me for dead. But when I was a little come to myself again, I asked him wherefore he served me so. Um, in the words, why did he do this to me? Why did he hit me? Um, and he said, because of my secret inclining to Adam the first, and with that the flesh, and with that he struck me another deadly blow on the breast and beat me down backward. And that's kind of what the, the, uh, the, 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 the drawing there shows. So I laid his foot as dead as before. And so when I came to myself again, I cried him mercy. But he said, I know not how to show mercy. And with that, he knocked me down again. I mean, just like... <laughs> Um, and he had doubtless made an end of me. He would have made an end of me. But that one came by and bid him forbear. Stop. Who was it that, caused him, that bid him forbear, said Christian? Faithful replies, I did not know him at first, but as he went by, I perceived the holes in his hands and in his side. And then I concluded that he was our Lord. And so I went up the hill. I'm going to read in a little bit. And so I went up the hill. I just think that's just... Galatians 5.1, and it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so now, I went up the hill. It's kind of like the end of Runaway Bunny. Here, have a carrot. <laughs> it's just that simple. So I went up the hill. Now I'm free. I'm free to do the thing that I've been given to do. And that man overtook you. That man that overtook you was Moses. He spares none. Neither does he know how to show mercy to those that transgress his law. And faithful, I know it very well. <laughs> it was not the first time. He has met with me. Anyway, it's a great, I mean, in the book, probably 15 lines in Pilgrim's Progress. says so much in so little time. A great economy of words. And didn't expect it. It was one of the things that came up as we went in Galatians a lot. That the law 
given through Moses, which is a word of God and it's holy, right, and true. The content of the law is not the problem, but our hearts are. And the law, which does not know how to show mercy, just kills us. It crushes us. It comes to us just like Moses here, and he just keeps beating me in the breast, one inch from my heart, until finally it cracks through and breaks the stony heart to pieces. Is not my word like a hammer breaking a rock to pieces, says Jeremiah, or says the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah. So with that, let's jump in the text, shall we? Um, I am going to back up a little bit uh, uh, to, uh, to, to, to the end of chapter 5. This is the fruit of the Spirit, fruits of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit passage. Highlighting especially two parts, um, verse 18 and verse 23. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's Rock of Ages. That's what I want to connect there with. And then uh, in verse 23, after reciting the, the fruit of the Spirit, against such things, these fruit, there is no law. That against these things, the law, is, the, the law cannot be against these things. There is no Moses here where he's against the old Adam just beating him at his breast without mercy. So here we start. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. We're going to hear that again uh, later in chapter 6. Walk by the Spirit, skipping down a little bit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these things are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And Paul, love these lists, he comes comes through and is going to end with, and things like these. So it's by no means exclusive or, or, uh, or complete. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness, which is the same word used in the Beatitudes, by the way, for meek. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle. Um, Self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That was important to go back, partly because it had the, the ideas of, of, uh, of not under the law and not against the law, the images of Rock of Ages and here in Pilgrim's Progress. But in 6, he's going to speak about you who are spiritual. And it's maybe obvious to you, but it wasn't obvious to me for a good part of my even my adult Christian life. Um, spiritual, as Paul uses it here, is going to say meaning of the Holy Spirit. You who are in the Spirit, who are walking in the Spirit. I think because we use that word spiritual with such a vagueness now. To be spiritual just means to be open 
to spiritual things or whatever that is, um, to be open to, uh, uh, to things which may not have a ready explanation. Paul's using them in a very located sense. Located, you who walk in the Spirit. Brothers, so remember 3.1, you foolish Galatians. And now here in 6.1, brothers. <laughs> if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you who are of the Holy Spirit, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, one of the fruits of the Spirit. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each of you test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Um, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows from the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, that's that word kairos, by the way, um, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, that's also rooted in the word kairos, which is interesting, um, as the time arises, a special time comes around, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the households of faith. And this is his conclusion. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. We'll talk about that. I love that line. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that may not be persecuted, persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast in anything, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. We heard that earlier in chapter 5-6. But new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, what you were saying, Eric. The grace, as he, as he started, so he ends. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's go through and pick some of this apart in a few minutes that we have. Um, image, do you want to leave up there with y'all? Um, um, yeah, that's good. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, if you walk past the line to transgress, um, and you're you're in the wrong, now you're trespassing, um, you who are spiritual, who have of the Holy Spirit, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So what? Restoration. Who? You are spiritual. And how? Gently. This is the concretizing of of 5.6, that faith, we're justified by faith alone, but faith doesn't appear alone, for faith expresses itself uh, as love. And Paul wants to keep going with that, this idea of passivity and, 
and similar to John in John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but in me you will bear much fruit. Um, if you're in the Holy Spirit, if you walk in step with the Spirit, um, uh, you who are crucified with Christ and are also sealed with the Holy Spirit, um, uh, who bear the seal of the Spirit, uh, you'll have these fruit. Um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. And he wants to begin to make that concrete in one particular area. That if somebody is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, rather than stoning them, a la John 8, you know, the woman caught in adultery, she crossed the line. Um, restore her gently uh, uh, in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. And he takes this, almost throw, I want to move through this quickly, but it's, it's complicated. Um, see if I can help clarify a little bit, even for myself. Keep watch on yourself. Keep a perspective, as it were. Separate yourself and look down on yourself. Check yourself and your own motivation, lest you too be tempted or brought to a trial. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This idea of bearing, of, of with another person coming and taking in their hands and lifting up these burdens, these things we're going to pull down. And so we bear one another's burdens. And what is that? And Paul now is, is a little bit of wordplay. He uses this again in 1 Corinthians um, 9. He doesn't use it anywhere else. He doesn't want to, I think he doesn't want to confuse too much this idea of, of, of Christ being a new Moses. Um, that's my own sense of things, and so it's not a popular phrase that he comes back to. But what is this, this phrase, the law of Christ? He knows what he's doing. He's doing a wordplay here. Uh, he's not sort of reinserting the law. Moses, we're told, has no mercy. Um, but the law of Christ, which is summarized in this idea of love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, to bear, to restore, to lift up the others who are weighed down, um, that's the law of Christ. We might say, simply put, what's the law of Christ? To consider others before you consider yourself. Having the mind of Christ, he'll say in Philippians 2, similar to having the law of Christ. Uh, uh, who, uh, And then he goes through with that great hymn uh, who, uh, describing Jesus who didn't consider equality with God as something to be proud of or to boast in. Um, clutched, grasped but emptied himself and became a servant, a slave to others. And that's his encouragement. But it's not even an encouragement to say, do this now. I've started you with the gospel. Finish. Because remember, now that you know God, or rather are known by him, in the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So which eye is it? This eye who's been crucified or this eye which no longer who lives? And that's Paul's you would call it his anthropology. Big nickel word. That's how he describes the question, who am I? What does it mean to be guilt? What does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to live in this world as freed from the penalty of sin, but still in its power and its presence? Uh, and that's where Paul, he, he takes pains and he says it all sorts of different ways where it's these two things at the same time. Uh, the, the, the works of the flesh are evident. I see them in my life every day. But the fruit of the Spirit, which you see in me and I see in you far better than we see in ourselves. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, remember these are the two eyes and you're getting them wrong, 
If you think you're one thing, but you're actually the other. If you think you're the new, but you're the old Adam, uh, you deceive yourself. Let each one test his own work. Awkward way of saying, um, each of us are going to have to give an account before God. Each of us, better to put it this way, are going to be accounted before God. Those of us who are hidden in Christ, this is over here at the end, who is clothed in the righteousness of Christ, who are wearing only Christ, we need to have no fear. As every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, welcome and come into the, uh, to the banquet of your master. Um, uh, and that's Paul's word here to Mark. You know, have perspective on yourself. Don't compare yourself to other people. Uh, for each one must test his own work. Not, oh, well, you know, he did X, and so if I do X plus one, then at least I'm a little bit better. I'll be okay. That's not the way it works. Um, uh, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load, the freight of his life being brought before the judgment seat of Christ, as it's sometimes called. Um, if we're hidden in Christ, rock of ages, we need to have no fear. Just want to keep saying that again and again. Um, let me stop. Questions there? Pause. We'll find a way to end this. Um, rather than the sowing and the reaping, let's skip over and go from verse 11 all the way to the end. So starting at 11c, it says, Stare at what, what large letters I'm writing with my own hand. Probably uh, he's been dictating this letter. Now he picks up the pen and he writes it himself. And it could be that part of his malady, his thorn in the flesh, could be a... This has all been completely guessed and nobody knows does he not write well and because he's got palsy or something else like that and so it's like almost like a second graders p-a-u-l or something else like that or is it just another way of saying see what's what large letters see this personal emphasis i'm now giving you i'm writing this i'm underscoring this part of the letter partly let you know that this is authentic this is really me paul writing it and not a forgery but i also want to underscore its importance that's probably true it is those um, who want to make a good showing in the flesh, who want to put a good face on it, um, uh, who would force you to be circumcised, um, and, not, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. What's Paul doing? He's trying to pull his whole letter together in a conclusion here. Uh, and as he said at the very beginning in chapter 2, um, it is not by works of the law that you are justified, but... Uh, by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So not but not by works of the law, but by the grace of God. He's saying no to all these not gospels. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Anything which is Christ plus something else is not the gospel. And that's really the biggest theme of Galatians. And Paul wants to bring that back and say... I want to underscore this. I'm writing to this with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. So it gets a little bit odd. Um, People are around. 
that are always wanting to make you, and you could even be doing this to yourself. So like, well, if this was good, a little bit more is better. Do the little bit more, and that'll be better. By no means. That's not the gospel. The gospel is it is finished. You can't do a thing except bring your sin to the cross. Uh, everything else is of God. And you let me bring that sin. He turns you in the repentance work, His work, not ours, turns you to see yourself through the work of the law, aided by Moses, uh, so that He could see the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Coming again and again and again to this place of realizing that it's God who loves you and has given His life for you. And don't let anybody add themselves to that. And Paul would even say, because the only reason they're doing that isn't for your benefit, but for their own. They want to just boast in your flesh and use you as a token so they could do it. It's a gross analogy, but the one I thought of, you know, Dances with Wolves or whatever else, all these movies, all these Vietnam books that I read when I was a kid. Um, uh, for every kill you would take, you know, you'd cut off an ear or something else like that. I'm boasting in your flesh. I mean, I think it's that graphic. Um, I hope that was okay to say. I didn't know I was going to say that out loud. Um, uh, that they may boast in your flesh. Here's my token. I have 16 of them. You know, I should be, I should be okay. You know, count me as a super warrior or something else like that. And then Paul closes it with a, a word of grace. But far be it from me to boast. Boast is always a comparison word, right? See, I have 16, you have eight. We're both good, but I'm a little bit better, you know, that sort of thing. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not a phrase he uses that much, actually. He's going to use it twice here at the end. Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the assignment of, of a title, um, the anointed one, the Messiah, uh, uh, Lord, which is why we see it in all caps in our Bibles. Uh, when we're talking about the Lord, it's, it's, it's Yahweh. It's the relatable God. It's the God who was and is and is to come. I am who I am. I was who I was. I will be who I will be. Jesus Christ is Lord, the earliest creed of the Christian church. Jesus Christ is Yahweh, is the, the God who revealed himself in the burning bush to Moses. The same one. Um, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord, Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, said that earlier in 5.6, but new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. Um, for there is a new heavens and a new earth, and the old order of things has passed away. Uh, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. I'm not going to go far on this. This idea of the Israel of God, books have been written on it. Um, I've never read a whole book on it. I've seen, there are probably hundreds in the history, thousands maybe, on this, this phrase, the Israel of God. Enough to say, uh, or he, he takes pains early in the letter to talk about the seed of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham. Well, who are the offspring of Abraham? And Isaac and Jacob. Jacob, the, great, the grandson of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham. Jacob, the deceiver. 
who wrestled with God and was renamed Israel. And you too shall be renamed the Israel of God, the who struggled with God, who has striven with God, and survived, and has won, and has prevailed. There's all sorts of ways to think about that. And from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. This whole, this double entendre here of, look, you know, I've been beaten and whipped and scourged. You know, was it four times he got the, the scourging and uh, and, and, and was starved, etc. and so forth. It, it's, the, it's the physical scars, but more than that, like Eric said, um, it's the brand. I've been marked as Christ's, and now it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I've, be, I've been bought with a price, he says in 1 Corinthians. It's no longer I who live, but Christ. I'm not my own, but I'm Christ. I belong to him. And then he closes the way he started. The grace, and he says, our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Because you who are spiritual have the Holy Spirit. And the grace is with your spirit. Uh, Now you have that peace of God, which passes all understanding, guarding your hearts and your mind, uh, so that all things and all manner of things are well with your soul, as we just sang. Amen. Questions or thoughts? Without what? Without uh, he's a wonderful man. <laughs> oh, it's just amazing. It's what you mm. Amen. Amen. I just had to talk, you know, talking about Moses and uh, coming before God, and God told him he had to put him in the cleft of the rock, mm. the rock being Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when we come before God, will be tucked in the cleft of his robe. Yep, yep, yep. Our life is hidden with Christ in God, you know, hidden in his robes. And in that, I just thought of all of those continents being oh. grafted into Jerusalem. Yeah. In America, off to the side, but we too shall be grafted in. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Grafted. Four-leaf clover is pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> uh, the promise fulfilled, right? <laughs> Well, let me pray. Um, Lord, uh, feeble words are here offered. I pray that you would take them uh, and through your Holy Spirit strengthen them um, so that your word would go forth um, and allow your work to be done in its way, never lacking for anything that's needed. Um, Thank you for the grace which is given to each of us in our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. To audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.